This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 88 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up about my trip to Germany and his week in Mothgate 2017, we will talk about incorporating flams into your drumming. Our featured artist this time is none other than Mr. Steve Gadd. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Sunhouse Sensory Percussion Electronic Drum System. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh my goodness, shake it off, Johnston. Holy yeah. mackerel. So do you have the when did you get back from Germany? Uh two days ago. So I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty fine right now, except for the fact that I had I got called into the Mike's Lesson studio at three thirty AM yesterday. Um, by the security uh, nice. company and I had to meet the police down here because our alarm was going off at three thirty in the morning <laughs> and our motion detectors were going off and awesome. I came in here and lo and behold it was not a burglar. It was a moth the size of a hummingbird. <laughs> and how did they it set just, off the motion detectors? Because it flew around, man. Oh, it was it, inside I, the building. Okay, so here's here's the real story. Now I still <laughs> haven't fully admitted this one to the wife yet. So what happened was I come in here and I see a moth, really legitimately the size of a hummingbird, like the biggest moth I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, and I'm not a bug, dude. I cannot handle it. So I was like, <laughs> holy hell. Now, luckily, it was on my window facing the front of the building. So it's, it's on the window looking out to the world. So I do what any responsible man would do, and I close the blinds. So I lock it in. Oh, you trap it in. I trap it in. It'll <laughs> die eventually, right? So I lock it in. I feel somewhat guilty because there is a size limitation. Like at some point, you actually care about bugs at a certain size. <laughs> like if a gnat's on your arm, you smack it. If a mosquito's on your arm, you smack it. And then right around like beetle size, you're like, I don't want to kill it. I'll put it outside. Oh, yeah. So this moth is definitely at that size where I'm like, that's like it. Like he looked me in the eyes and he's like, are you seriously closing the blinds? <laughs> and I was like, bro, I'm sorry. I just can't touch you. I'm so freaked out of bugs. So. I shut the blinds. These are actual wood blinds, like heavy-ass blinds. Heavy blinds. The dude opened... Yeah. The dude opened the blinds. What? Just so, fl- fluttering around and knocked him around? Yeah, he smacked it so hard, he opened the blinds, got out, and then set off the motion detectors. So... So then oh, when man. I come here and meet the police, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it is, even though I know what it is. Uh, we, we lock it all back up. I leave the moth in here. I am not getting near that thing. So... I come back in the morning and I'm like, okay, I got to do it. So it's on the wall and it's a wall right next to the front door. So I think if I could just scare it, it's going to fly out the front door. So I'd get back about 15 yards and I throw a 10 inch coated drum head at it. <laughs> single ply. I don't want to hurt him. So I throw a 10 inch coated single ply aquarium at him uh, just to scare him. It literally bounced off its left shoulder and it looked at me like, did you just throw a head? It didn't even move. So then I have to do the whole thing where I get the, the giant cup, the glass cup, and I put it over the moth, and then it flew into the cup and like really bucked me good, and it's shucking and jiving, and mm, yeah. oh, and then finally I scooted it all the way over to the door, and I let it out, and it flew out, and all the birds in the area just darted. They were like, screw that. That's the craziest moth ever. So 
<laughs> Mothgate 2017 happened. I haven't slept in a while, and I'm a little jet lagged. How Man, are you, buddy? <laughs> you could have just gone outside and found like a five year old kid to grab it and just take it outside for you. Okay, all right. I'm gonna. You know what? I hope I see that moth again, and I'm gonna. I, I'm telling you. That thing was prehistoric. Paleontologists around the world would have studied that thing. That thing was crazy. You know, there was like seven other bugs on its back with a saddle riding it. Yeah. Like it was like a, holy heck. This is like your your big fish story. You know, I caught the biggest fish. (laughs) Either way, I'm just telling you that Mothgate 2017 is no joke. So got through that. Um, Music Mesa was good. And uh, life is is grand. How about you, pal? Oh, man. All's good. All's good. Nothing. Uh, nothing crazy happened this week. So, and we actually skipped a week, didn't we? I mean, well, we, well the we show did, didn't skip did, a week. The listeners didn't. No. Yeah, yeah. So last week was, you know, just kind of a mellow week. Couple, couple local gigs. Nothing too crazy, and you know, a bunch of recordings, but nothing, nothing too extravagant. Um, I gotta say, man, you're kind of you're kind of finding your groove, man. Like, yeah. I've always seen you as um, a a chameleon you can do whatever you need to do you're a fantastic drummer um stylistically it was always heavily influenced so much that i knew what you were thinking in the moment like oh he's really into Stuart copeland right now and i'm not just talking when you were doing like the actual i'm trying to be Stuart copeland mm-hmm. videos but i just mean i could just tell and then in the last month since you started really doing the electronic thing and finding your home with those loops, yeah. you're, you're starting to have a sound, man. And I just want to say congratulations because that's one of the final steps in the journey of becoming a true artist is finding your own sound. And you sound like you. Like someone else, if they did it, I'd be like, oh, you're doing the Mike Dawson thing. That's and I think that's a... It's a very cool thing. So, congrats, man. Which is funny because I'm like feeling like I need to burn it down and do something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. Oh like, man, you know, stop with that stuff. And it's funny because it, I, I kind of made it a goal to try to put something up every other day just for my own accountability. And okay, um, and I'm starting to really see my habits, which is you know it's becoming like okay, that's a habit. It it sounds cool, right. but it's a habit. So should you, you know, maybe not do that habit? You know, that's that would be such a great topic for a future episode is what is the difference between a fallback habit, which it's like I call them get out of jail free cards. I mm-hmm. always know I can do it. I crush. I land on the one every time with this one. I, it takes no thought. And then what? what's the difference between that and then a tendency that adds to your sound where it's like, yeah, yeah. I do that a lot because I like it. You know, yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, it's not a get out of jail free card. I, I really have nine options in the moment, and I choose that one almost every time because I really dig it. And I think that I'm always reminded of Benny Greb's uh, Samba double bass ostinato. Mm-hmm. It's not like he doesn't have nine thousand other things he could play. He really digs it, yeah, and he plays it, you know, in almost every solo because it's like I think there's a part of him that's like I can't wait to do it, yeah, and yeah. and so yeah, I think there's there's a balance between those two of like okay, those are my get out of jail free licks and and tendencies, and then those things over there are the things that I don't even know I'm doing, but if somebody else was to study my drumming, that's what they would pick up on. Yeah, you know? that's, that's happened a few times where I've done recordings for people and they they come back to me like man you always lead in your fills with a little five stroke roll like a like a ghost noted five stroke roll like i have yeah of course i do that i think it sounds cool but i don't think about it at all and they were kind of like they were kind of freaking out like it sounds like there's like this ghost like like crescendo (laughs) like phantom thing leading in before your fills like i think i'm just 
playing a role before it. I've never thought about yeah. it. So now right. it's one of those where I'm like, okay, do I do I want to do it this time or not do it this yeah, yeah, time? Yeah. Instead no, of just being uh, every single time. Oh, you know what? Like, yeah. I wanted to tell you, um, the last video I did, one of your licks popped out. I mean, when did you have me beta test your courses? Like a year oh, ago? Oh, God, a year ago, yeah. A year yeah. ago. So, I had you do the Phil's course, right? Yeah, and I practiced it pretty hard for a couple days. Never returned to it again, and then it just sure. it just popped out of me the other day. How cool! It man. took like a year for that thing to just to become part of my lexicon. It's like isn't whoa, that crazy? There it is, and it, I didn't feel like it was forced. It was like whoa, it, it just, just showed kinda, up. There it is, cool, man. So if you guys want to be better one year from now, sign up at <laughs> mikeslessons.com practice and then forget all of it um, that's you know that's something that's honestly just never talked about enough and mm-hmm. it's how long does it take till you have something down in because everyone always asks me that how long did it take you to get that down I'm like ah, two years but they never asked the next question of how long until it came out of you naturally yeah. it's like oh two more years yeah, you know yeah. after I stopped practicing it uh, I mean in all honest on honest can't say that word in all honesty usually if i learn a new simple simple idea i'm talking like maybe nine notes like a little weckalism that's usually about six to seven months after i've mastered it that it would show up naturally yeah um, that sounds about right know. and to the point where you don't even think about it it's just another word that happens it's a sound yeah mm. so I, I definitely i mean that was a huge graduation party for myself too is when did i stop thinking about stickings and start thinking about phrasing mm-hmm. and so you start thinking of like well i just know what nine sixteenth note triplets sounds like i know that downbeat upbeat downbeat you know and you just kind of start to get that feel but I'm not thinking, well, it'll be paradiddle diddle with a right left kick. I'm not thinking licks or chops or stickings. Yeah. Um, and and that's a nice thing. I mean, that, that there's nothing that can ruin a groove more on the third bar is when you predetermine the sticking for the fourth bar. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you can hear it. You yeah. can hear like, oh, you're thinking about the fill. And something's going to happen. Yeah, something's going to happen before that that derails it. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. something I'm working on with a few different people. Like, how do you? How do you prepare for that transition without losing the concentration on the present moment? Like that is yeah. that's kind of the ultimate. Like you've got, you know this transition's coming up. You've got to do something dramatic, but you can't let that then make you lose focus on the, the two, and a, two and a half bars of groove you yeah. still have to play. It happens, yeah, and, it happens and it's, all the time to me still. I did a track this morning and I was listening to it, I was like, man, I'm just rushing the lead into that fill just a bit to where it just feels amateurish. I'm like, dang it. Back yeah, to the woods. <laughs> think about, you know, think about, let's say we're in eight bar phrases. You have at least six bars where all, all you have to do is concentrate on that groove and that feel and that pocket. And then you have that two bar f- area where you're like, well, I have to prep, you know? Yeah, something's um, happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, it would <laughs> yeah. be like walking up to maybe a four foot box, you know, the, the 20 yards walking up to it, you would walk with your normal gait, but at some point you have to prepare cause you're gonna have to jump up onto that four foot box mm-hmm. and you can hear that in your groove. And it's, uh, I, I think for me, that's probably the drummers that I love the most is when I never hear that. I never hear that tension. It, it just, yeah. it always flows seamlessly. Uh, not an easy thing to do by any means. One thing that really helps with my, st- if I have students that really struggle with it, I make their fill the fill has to be the exact groove. They just orchestrate it somewhere else. Yeah, so, that makes sense. You know, then all of a sudden, the, it's a taunting of doom, doom, god, doom, ba, doom, ba, doom, la, doom, and that's the whole fill. But the groove already was, so yeah. that way, 
Because the other thing is, a lot of times I'll just have them play the groove, and then they have to sing out loud the subdivision of what's coming up. I need mm-hmm. to make sure, like, can you predetermine sixteenth note triplets while you're playing this groove? Because if you just jump into it, you're always going to go way too fast. Mm-hmm. Like sixteenth note triplets, those are hella fast. It's like, well, they're not fast or slow; they just exist. They're six hits per beat. So if you can predetermine that while you're grooving, and that also. For me, it tells me what I can't play. You know, I'll be playing this and I'll think, I wonder what 30 second notes, it's going to be, that's way too much for this. Yeah. What about maybe some dragged eighth note triplets? Okay, I'll put that at the end. So, but that whole conversation I just had happens in the middle of a verse and yeah. you can hear that I'm talking to myself. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Do we solve anything? <laughs> No, I mean it's a. No. I think it's a never-ending pursuit. Although, I mean, there there are guys who can do it. I mean, my the guys that I obsess over, the Nearzies and the Shannon Forests and the Josh Shreeses. I mean, mm-hmm. when they track, they sound like they're gridded, but they're they're playing live because they have just yeah. such great control. And it's that it's. I'm focusing on those little dust little spots. The the two the two counts before the fill and the two counts after the fill. Like, can yeah. can they be can they be unwavering? And then yeah. still play some kind of an emotional fill, but not have like after the fill you have a mental break so things kind of fall apart, or before the fill you get anxious so you start to rush and crush the subdivisions. That's the tendency. Yeah. Now, how do you combat you know, that? I mean, for me, just I just have to record myself all all the time because you can't yeah. really hear it in the moment. Not really. No, no, no. You have to go back to it for sure. Uh, one thing that you know would be fun for us to do would be to. Maybe do four bar phrases, three bars of groove, one bar of fill, just so it doesn't take too long. But see, can we sing the groove of the song out loud during the fill so that even the fill kind of matches this emotional grid of the groove? Mm -hmm. Um, And I bet the accents of the fill would then accentuate the accents of the groove, which would make the whole thing feel good. You know, unless you were, like you said, when you use the word dramatic, that kind of takes me out of it for a second. I think, okay, we're really departing from what's happening. Yeah. But. I think that would be something that could keep the whole thing together for sure. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is the pressure that this is obviously for drummers that are a little bit earlier in the timeline, but early drummers or young drummers need to understand we are the only ones that care about fills. No one else does. Yeah. Yeah. It just spans. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no one thinks about sticking or like, Oh, that was a great (laughs) lick. They're just like, yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about the, the words that producers use. Can you make it more dynamic? Can you vary it up? Can yeah. you make it more bombastic? But they're never thinking the way we think. Can you and play more notes? All in our head. Can you play a more <laughs> yeah, slick you... sticking there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, is there any way you could cover up the band more in that transition? Because uh, <laughs> I'm not really happy with the way they played. So why don't you just blaze a chop? Yeah. I wanted to make it Man, real confusing I... for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in uh, when I was in Germany last week, I went. I attended every one of Annika's and Yost's classes. So I attended eight master classes in total. Um, nice. Eight hours of... So I went to to German drum school because I was learning from Yost Nickel and Annika <laughs> Nillis. And uh, it was just incredible, man. I, I, I really got a lot out of it. I would say from Annika, um, I got a couple things. One, the last time I saw her was... Th- Almost three years ago, I think, mm, man, time uh, goes that I actually fast. spent yeah. time with her. What's yeah. that? I said time goes by fast. Cause I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the last time I saw her, we were at dinner and she asked, you know, um, if she could be excused to go work on her practice pad. And uh, <laughs> she 
pra- I mean, she never stopped practicing ever, and she had a notepad with her. So I show up to Germany, and they're going to take me to my the performance room where myself and Annika and Yost are going to be set up. I walk in, and she's on the same pad with the same notebook, just practicing her rear end off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so I'm like, have you stopped in three years? Like, so what I got <laughs> immediately was. It's not talent. It's work. The girl puts in the hours, man. So that was incredible. Um, And I finally found a little bit of a use for quintuplets, um, which I never really – I've always – I've never been against them. I just kind of always felt like, hey, if you want to learn them, just go study with Annika. She's she's really deep into it. But once she was showing me the difference in feel between a standard shuffle and then using one and four of a quintuplet – and I was like, wow, now the Questlove world is making sense on a mathematical level. Yep. Um, and that was the first time it really – because I was like, I don't want to play a whole song in quintuplets and then <laughs> f- fight the feel of what's going on. Like, But then when I heard that, I was like, you know what? That's actually really pretty cool. So that was fun um, and just to talk. And we got to do this little warm-up that uh, we created where we played one sixteenth note a part of each other in a p- three over four polyrhythm. Oh, nice. Um, that probably sounded so, cool. Yeah, I, we put it up on Instagram and it and uh, it kind of blew up and it was just it. We were both playing with the hands and then we were just playing one e and a two e and a three e and a four and then she played that while I played one e and a two e and a three mm-hmm. e and which gave us one e and a two on our kicks and oh, so it's like nice. um, and then we never got to film it with Yost but we wanted to have him be the third bass drum so we had but the two, um, but yeah, so it was great. And then from Yost, you know what I learned was something that I learned probably when I was seven or eight years old, and I left it behind. I learned to count out loud again. Um, mm-hmm. He was saying that when he's dealing with odd groupings, threes, fives, and sevens, or in triplets and groups of nine, he actually doesn't figure out the math whatsoever of how many threes and fours and fives does he need to create a two-bar phrase of sixteenth notes. He just counts out loud, and when he's out of time, he's out of time, and it creates a much more musical flow. Um, he knows when the two bars are up, and because he's counting out loud, man, and that is that is like eating broccoli and spinach. Everyone on earth knows it's good for you, and yes. no one does it. <laughs> like everyone should, and, and knows. It, I haven't practiced it in forever, even though I've recommended it. I haven't practiced it in forever. <clears throat> I came home two days ago, and I sat down, and I was doing it, and I was like. This is like really. Um, this makes you feel very vulnerable. Yeah, makes you feel stupid. Um, yeah, because it reveals all your inconsistencies. Because you and you're, you you're can speaking count out loud. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, that's that's the thing. And I remember my uh, middle school percussion teacher. He would he would have all the students come together in a room and, and work through the Alfred book. And that was the one thing. Like, if I can't hear all of you counting, we're not going to move on. And it was we were all so embarrassed to be like counting for whatever reason yeah. it was embarrassing it kind of one two yeah it was three. just i don't know like, why I it's embarrassing you. it doesn't make any sense but i mean i that's i just i beat that war drum with everyone now because it's yeah if you if you have issues with time and feel it's probably because you're not playing your subdivisions accurately and right if you can every every human being can walk in tempo that I mean, has you know f- normal functioning legs can can walk in perfect tempo and can count in perfect tempo. So if you just Agreed. allow that to be your guide, it, like you said, it makes yeah. you feel uncomfortable because you play a fill and you can't keep counting anymore. Then well, yeah. then, then there's something seriously wrong with your time and your subdivisions. Right. Well, and I mean, just as a human, you feel awkward that I can't count to four. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, I sound like I've got Tourette's. I'm like one, two, three. 
four. And then I like, you yeah. know, go four with legato. But so, yeah, so that was really helpful. And what I realized, too, uh, he was saying, he's like, I know that a lot of teachers drill left foot timekeeping. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm sitting in the audience. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. And uh, <laughs> he's like, and I understand that and I agree with it. But there are times that musically I don't want my left foot to be heard. Can you still play those odd groupings? And I thought, really, when he said that, I was like, oh, if you took my left foot out, I don't really know if I would know where the one is. Interesting. Um, in a two-bar phrase. Yeah, yeah. One bar, fine. But two-bar phrase, because he was playing all two-bar phrases. And, you know, when you play um, one, two, three, four, one E and a two. And I'm not counting anymore. It's like, oh, I guess we're just here now. <laughs> I'll just modulate to this new feel. So to have that one. Two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. You know, like, I, I, that's threes. That's something I've been doing my whole life. When we started mixing up threes and fours to give me a seven, you know, three, three, four, three, four, three, four, I was pretty lost without counting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. And uh, it's just funny how we can play drums our whole lives, and now I'm doing exactly what I did when I was seven years old. Yeah, well, I and mean, struggling. It's like I mean, we it, again. It's like our teachers knew the way, and we just didn't want it, to. It's I think it's the paradox of life. Kids don't want to trust their teachers. They don't want to do. Right. They don't want to believe them. And you know, twenty years later, like if I just would have believed my teacher, I'd be so much better now. <laughs> I would be so <laughs> That's much so true, better. Dude. That is so true. <laughs> I have a I have a jazz buddy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him play. His name's Tim Metz. Um, yeah, I've talked yeah. about him before. Yeah, yeah. So. Tim, like we have this kind of joke because we're the same age. We went to high school together. We were both underneath Johnny Rab at high, in high school. He was the AM jazz band drummer. And I always tell Tim, I'm like, man, whatever you think right now, I, I guarantee I'll agree with you in five to six years. Because <laughs> everything that he tells me, I'm like, I'm like, no, man, I don't think so. And he's like, I'm just telling you. And he's he's like. We're the same age, but he's just five years more mentally advanced than me. And I always come back to him like, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you now. And uh, Tony Williams is great. Okay, fine. Oh, man. <laughs> so, well, let's get life. into some educational stuff. Let's talk about bringing those flams into your drumming. Uh, that's, a, that's a massive subject for sure. I think there comes a time in a drummer's journey that they understand – Man, I just sound very blocky and very monotone, and there's no dimension to my drumming, and there's no texture, or there's not as much as maybe the people that I'm looking up to. And that's when all of a sudden, flams, buzz strokes, diddles mm-hmm. start to make their way into your drumming, and you realize it. But what's what's tough is after you get that first flam, what I call uh, blackum, you know, blackum, and you mm-hmm. get that rock flam followed by a kick. You don't really know where to go. Like, how do I do more? Because I don't think I don't think Weckles doing blackum. There's something more textured there going on. Um, so, and you guys have an article in the May issue, right, by Libor? Yeah, exactly. It's third part of his series. Uh, the series is called "A Thousand Ways to Practice a Single Page." And this mm. this uh, issue, he's focusing on flams. How to use flams okay. to read rhythms. Uh, so he kind of starts with the, you know. So you got a written rhythm like a syncopation pattern or whatever. Okay. And you just play you play the written part as accents and you fill in everything else with with regular low taps. Okay. So then the first thing you do is you just add flams to the accents. So you sure. can alternated sticking and whatever however it lands it's going to be flam flam accents and various versions of that. Or one that I'd never really tried was 
keep one hand plays steady 16th notes the entire measure and the other hand plays the the written part as the main note of a flam okay so if it's if, if it's uh summary number one it'd be Is that right? Did I get it? <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't see. At a very slow and, speed. I couldn't see, and no, neither can anyone else. Did you have the right hand playing all the sixteenth notes? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding? There's no way my left hand could have made it through that. You would have heard it go like dun 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 dun. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, cool, man. I think he, you know, he goes into other variations of that. But when I started applying them to the kit. I think the first thing that is important for people to to realize is the sound difference between if you move the main note to a different drum or if you move the grace note to a different drum. Mm, yeah, and yeah. really the key to that kind of Vinnie Calgary Dave Weckl flammy thing is not moving the main note, you're moving the grace note to a tom and then right. playing the main note on the snare. That gives you that real kind of, I don't know, how, you, how would you describe that sound? It's... Thick. Uh, it's like a thick sound. Yeah, Yost actually talked about that in one of his master classes. He really um, somebody Yost has some really cool orchestrations for for bludgeda type figures, um, mm-hmm. you know. And very instead of it being so aggressive, his bludgeda stuff would be maybe left hand cross stick and right hand hi hat, very tight. And mm-hmm. it's it's a very, really cool stuff. And so, anyways, he said when I get to the drum set, the left hand in a flam will always be on the snare the grace note will be the right on the tom and that way the grace note is quiet and the left hand is my normal backbeat feel right and that gives me a thicker sound um and then when he and it was like oh yeah cool i guess i guess and then he reversed it and it was like oh wow that has no impact whatsoever yeah it sounds weird it sounds it sounds like you're playing a drum thing when you when you've moved the main note and it actually doesn't, yeah. doesn't sound good at all to me it just sounds no, silly no. <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing I'm, I'm watching one of my favorite drummers of all time nail it flawlessly and it's still i'm like yeah that sounds bad <laughs> yeah yeah so the um, grace note is what has to be hit on the, the tom i think to get that flammy vibe i mm-hmm. think that's really important that that's I, cool. that I don't think everyone it's not a most natural way to apply them but as soon as you do you're like oh there's that sound that's that's what everyone does when they get that that just kind of slightly Flat. off dense flam yeah. like what are they doing it's a rim shot with the left hand and the grace note is on a rack tom or a floor tom or something man how much how much confidence does it take for you to actually not just practice it but to kind of perform a really open flam you know what i mean like yeah i remember for years like i i think the first time i really thought about it was when um todd Zuckerman was playing um what was he playing maybe flam taps and he just kept opening it up until it became this like three against two rhythm mm-hmm. uh, and um and i thought like oh yeah i'll do that and then in performance it was like no my flams always reverted back to high school perfect flams <laughs> and then but now it's kind of getting there where because i mean it's two separate notes when you could let you know and uh, yeah really stretches it, the time yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it takes some serious confidence to pull that off and to go for that. But when people do it, we all hear it. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. I call it, I literally say Benny's name in triplets when I do it because it'll be right hand on 10 inch rack tom, left hand on snare, and you're going, don't you do it. Benny, grab Benny, grab. 
Skatadum, bazookadum, chickadum, Benigra, Benny. And it's always like, blah, blah, blah. That's Dude. funny. Yeah. So don't tell him I say that, but. Uh. Oh, we're going to tag him on this episode. Oh, great. Benigra, Benny. I highly doubt he's playing any licks to go. Mike Johnson, Mike Johnson. <laughs> no, doesn't quite flow. No. Doesn't quite flow. <laughs> no, but Benny Gra- I mean, That's the thing. Even his name is rhythmic. God dang it. You can't beat it. Uh, so, yeah. Now, do you have any flam rudiments that you actually use as flam rudiments on the kit? You know, uh, have you, do you remember Dom Familaro's educational video from, like, the early 90s or maybe even the late 80s? One of the first ones. Definitely seen it, but don't remember. Uh, I think he actually did two versions of it because I think he might have chained drum companies shortly after he made the first one. And oh no to, way! He had to kind of redo it, but that stuck with me. His his concept. So it was similar to what we were just talking about with um, Libor's article, where you just you're playing an accent pattern and you're flamming the accents. So it's steady sixteenth notes and you're flamming the accents, whatever accents okay. you want to play. And then you split the hands up, so you put the right hand on the ride cymbal and keep the left hand on the snare. Sure. And it creates this like ever evolving syncopated kind of samba kind of a thing. So that stuck with me. So what ends up happening when I do that a lot is it's a lot of flam accents and flam paradiddles. Sure. Those oh, okay. are the two because that kind of leads me back to the downbeat. If you do a bunch of flam accents and then a flam paradiddle, it kind of it can kind of cycle you towards the backbeat depending on whatever your hands need to do to play the groove, but. So that's definitely the two. It would be flam, flam, ta- flam accents and flam paradiddles. Right. Nice. Those are the I like two it, that I use a lot. I do that all the time if I'm trying to play something kind of fusion-y. It's usually flam patterns split with right. the hands on two different surfaces. Gotcha. And you're, and I would assume by now you're not thinking at all. <clears throat> I'm going to do flam accents split between two surfaces. It's yeah, just no. a sound. It's right? well, it, it's again because of what Dom was talking about. I'm thinking about the phrasing of the accent. So I'm just thinking of an accent f- pattern and then letting my hands play the pr- appropriate rudiments to get those right. those accents. So you know, spending time doing each rudiment for hours and hours and hours, it's ingrained. So I know if I if it's a three beat cycle, I'm just going to go to flam accents without even thinking about gotcha. it. Yeah, sure, sure. But those are the two. I don't. I don't do too many, uh, you know, advanced. I don't do buzz uh, uh, cheeses or anything like Jeez. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheese too often. Flaws with and a I think, book I report think the, on the side. The, the Swiss triplet is cool, but it's one of those where you can hear it. It's like ah, and you're, there's the Swiss triplet. You can hear it yeah. right away. So I kind of avoid the ones that are like there's that drum lick with flams in it. Right. That's yeah. Just, yeah. I kind of and, avoid and them. yeah. I mean, I, I think the Swiss triplet and the flam accent those two definitely are very different in my mind when it comes to orchestration the flam accent is allowing me to spread out the kit right and left from beat to beat um Mm. or or like you said or i stay in one place and then the the sound is kind of changing where if i do swiss triplets and i keep my hands in the same position maybe right hand on rack tom left hand on snare you're going to hear that it's always going to be repetitive or flam accents it's going to kind of alternate through it so yeah yeah flam taps but i think are both, good too for for mixing up i patterns. would say flam taps is probably the one that i use the most in my soloing and i never use it as flam taps as soon as i realized that flam taps could be considered flam groupings and i thought oh well let's just call that a flam two then that allows for flam three 
Flam oh, four, okay. flam yeah. five. So I do a lot of flam fives as two and three. Bleta, bleta, da, bleta, bleta, da, bleta, bleta, da. Mm. Over maybe a bio. Dooncha, 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 dooncha. Bleta, bleta, da, bleta, bleta, da, bleta, 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 bleta. So flam tap, flam okay. tap extra. Flam tap, uh. flam tap extra. Flam tap, flam. So I think of it as. Flam two, flam two, three, flam two, flam two, three, flam two, three, four, flam two, three, four, flam two, flam two, flam two, three, flam two, three, flam two, three, flam two, three, four, flam. So it alternates if you do if you do fives, yeah. So with the fives, I def I'm not going flam two, three, four, five. It's flam two, flam two, three, flam two, flam two, three, flam two, flam two, three. Right. So flam right, flam left, left, flam right, flam left, left, flam right, flam left, left. Oh so that's a three with the left then. Yes. So it's a two with which, the right, three with the left. Yeah, which is really a three with the right and a four with the left because of the grace note. Right. So you so it really trains your left hand up. Mm. So yeah, but I'm thinking of it as just numbers. Flam two, flam two, three, flam two, three, four, five, flam two, flam. You know, I mean I just stay on that yeah. thing and my hands are just coming down in different groupings. Um so I use that a lot over foot ostinatos because mm. it just has this cool feel, you know. Um, and then sometimes maybe the foot ostinato is just left foot eighth notes or left foot upbeats, and then I'm accentuating the flams with the bass drum. So with a little nice something going on. Man, yeah, we, so. we got in, extremely nerdy for the past half an hour. <laughs> Jeez Louise, where did the time go? That was, uh, you know what? The only thing that can ruin a drum podcast is when you make it really a drum podcast. I know, like, do you really want us to go in? Like, this is what we, yeah. like, I, I forgot we were even recording. Like, this is what we would normally talk about. No, yeah, no, we're actually, yeah, this is, these were our conversations before we ever started the podcast. Uh, anyway, so everyone, check out Libor's article, article in the new May issue on incorporating flams into your drumming. And especially if you ever have to ask yourself or even if your students are asking why, why do I need flams? Let them know it's it's not just because it's part of our drumming world and we have to have it. It's It gives you texture. It also allows you to play multiple instruments at once. So if you only played a snare drum with no rims, then flams would only be for texture. But because we have multiple instruments on the kit and multiple sounds on the kit, it allows you to kind of spread those out. Um, just like Mike was talking about, a grace note on a 14-inch floor tom into uh, with the main note on the snare just thickens up that backbeat so much. Yeah, you can't not sound like Vinny if you do that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's just <I> know. the thing. <laughs> and if you put your uh, right hand on the 10 inch tom, then you sound like Benny Grebin. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's dope. <laughs> All right, so we uh, have to thank our special sponsor. This is our first episode ever being sponsored by, by someone. So, Dream you Symbols. You guys knew it was coming, right? You yeah, knew it was coming. Yeah. You know, Dream Symbols is they 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 see the light with the Modern Drummer podcast. They want to be involved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I wanted to make sure that everyone's aware of something cool that they're doing. They have a I don't know if you knew this, but they they have a recycling program. So, if you find a you know if you have a just a pile of broken symbols or maybe just symbols you don't really use anymore and you're thinking about trading them in or or whatever, as long as they're B eight to B twenty alloy, you can take them to any Dream Symbol dealer. And this can be any symbol, any company, any any model. They will give wow. you one dollar per inch to then recycle. So they'll give you that one dollar credit per inch of symbol towards a new dream symbol, which I think is pretty awesome. So if you have that's huge. Yeah, I mean, if you think have a fourteen-inch set of hats, that's twenty-eight bucks. Yeah, yeah. So it won't take very long to get you know three hundred inches of symbol to trade in, and you've got three hundred dollars and. 
you know, we've talked about how affordable dream symbols are. So $300 yeah, yeah. of credit, you can probably get two ride symbols. Yeah. That's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. So, um, commercial on pause for a second and sponsorship on pause. That, is that the first company I've never heard of anybody doing that? Is that the first company you know of to do that? Uh, I don't want to misspeak. I'm not sure, but okay. this is the first time I know that it's been really kind of pushed what a cool thing. Yeah. And we have a dream dealer here in Sacramento. We have a uh, skips music. So, mm. um, that's really something cool, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you could be real crafty. You go down to your pawn sh- local pawn shop and buy a bunch of cheap symbols for 20 yeah, bucks. Yeah, if, if you can get a symbol for less than a dollar an inch, like a, a you know a $10, 20-inch ride, you just doubled your profit. That's, what, yeah. that's the way to go. So I've got some old cracked stuff from the old Simon Says days, some old Peisty Rudes oh, I might take into old Skip's music. Get yourself a Bliss a bliss ride or a Crash ride. This yeah. Nice. So the, if, anyone, if you want to hear, read more about it, you can go to dreamsymbols.com backslash about us backslash green policy or just go into your, you know, find a local dealer. They, hopefully they're available in your area for Dream Symbols and ask them about it. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And I think it's been under uh, advertised. So we'll make sure we call attention to that. And thanks to Dream for making me aware of it again. So and now we got to dig. Yeah, and sponsoring the podcast. So let's dig into where are we at? Steve Gad. Gad. The man, the man with the flam plan. Ooh, man. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we just had our, uh, it was like maybe three weeks ago, our uh, discovering the greats thing on mikeslessons.com where I'm just trying to get some of our younger students to realize, hey, why do you keep hearing this name? Vinny Caliuta, Steve mm-hmm. Gad, Dennis Chambers. Yeah. And Steve Gad was the first one we did. And man, what a, what a definitive sound. It is not hard to wonder, is that Steve Gad? It's like no, you know, like yeah. you hear those toms. He's you know, you know his uh, his his drum sound changed. I think from like the mid '90s, but up until then, it yeah. was like it sounded like hydraulic heads. I mean, it was every like, time I, I I instantly was thinking about those things that we loved when you and I were teenagers, which was the the Remo internal muffling system. Yeah, it just like sounds like you an know? 808 sample every tom. Yeah. Like, doom, 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 like a perfect doom, doom. tom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then just that, like, <clears throat> the other thing is, and I don't know, you know, I've I've only met Steve Gadd once at a thing that we were doing together for, um, I can't remember what we were doing, but I've only been with him once, and we didn't talk, we didn't get into, like, the history of his drumming, but... I was listening to old stuff today, like you mm. know, Korea stuff. His snare is so loud in the mix. I'm wondering, like, was that something that he spoke to producers about? Like, was he always fighting for, like, I need more snare? Because his drums aren't overly loud. I mean, they're very present, yeah. but the snare is up there, you know? You know I um, think it was the, that era. I don't know for sure, but, I mean, he kind of pioneered that sound, and I think it records yeah. so well. I mean, the snare is really low, and he's got them really muffled, and it records yeah. beautifully. So if I was the engineer, I'd be like, yeah, give me more of that. I yeah. don't want to hear, like, a gunshot, cranked rim shot, but when right. he's got that, that head tuned really low, and he's got the muffle ring on it, and he's playing... The, he, t- he tightens his snares pretty tight, so all his doubles are yeah. super clean. I mean, it's a I would say sound. his snare adds as much low end and fatness to the mix of a song that he's on as his kick does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, but not in that old 80s uh, Def Leppard sort of way where you actually can't tell the difference between the kick <laughs> yeah. and the snare. They're like layering um, kick samples yeah. on the snare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> arena kick underneath <laughs> snare um but yeah so it uh, i was i was kind of blown away so steve gad is your cover guy for the may issue correct yeah he is we brought him back it's been it's been a number of years um it's funny because he's one of those like 
universal names that is in every issue in some way indirectly that we we didn't realize like well he hasn't been on the cover in like a decade or more wow really pretty crazy yeah so he's still he's still playing he's got his own band we did a poll um on our social media pages to find out what everyone's favorite steve gad tracks were Mm. and the list was was not entirely surprising but still kind of cool and i think maybe we should just go through some of them and 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 get our own thoughts on it so i think the one that uh anyone who's in the into the well i think asia is probably his most legendary Mm. track it's not it's not my personal favorite performance uh but i think it's it's pretty stellar especially when he goes into that that's that flam samba thing at the end yeah that's essentially what he's doing he's got his right hand on the bell and left hand on the snare and he's just playing these flam patterns right that one's great my favorite is night sprite off of chikria leprechaun <laughs> that's uh what i got right here that's yeah uh, i have two tracks one of them is night sprite and that is one of those tracks that it it's deceptively fast yeah that's you know what I mean? It doesn't hard. sound like Cherokee fast until you sit down and try to play it. And you're like, I keep falling behind. I cannot yeah. keep up with this thing. Um, yeah, because he sound, makes it sound so relaxed. But That's what I'm saying. Is like, cruising. Yeah, when I hear it, I'm like, oh, I could do that. And then I sit on the kit, and I'm like, I, it keeps passing me up. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm running as fast as I can, and Usain Bolt's just like, dude, what are you doing back there? <laughs> he's like, looking at you in he, slow motion. <laughs> yeah, he's like, later, bruh. Um, so, yeah, Night Sprite is definitely up there for me. And I think that that's probably the one of the main tracks that, if you want to know how he got to be where he was, in the late 70s and the 80s and the 90s and today that's kind of going you're going back in time but you're still hearing him at one of his many many peaks mm-hmm. you know i kind of feel like steve gadd has these every six years he repeaks and it's like oh yeah i just forgot how awesome you've always been <laughs> yeah but exactly. that was kind of like yeah you're on fire dude oh, um, yeah that was incredible so yeah definitely check out night sprite by chick korea and then the two uh the two Paul Simon songs that sure. probably for the non-drumming world have, have what made him so famous. So you've got 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover and Late in the Evening. I actually have to play Late in the Evening this weekend. and Really? It's it's not a super hard pattern, but it's like if you don't know it, you kind of can't play the song. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the well, that's what's funny is that thing. people like call it like a, a Mozambique and it's like, eh, kind of. Yeah. He really took some liberties. It's its own thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe at some point 20 years before he played that someone taught him a traditional Mozambique and then he kind of was like yeah I kind of know it let me try something and yeah. he came up with his own thing um, yeah I don't know the story if that song was written before the pattern or if the song was written because of the pattern but his, the pattern? his pattern follows the, the the way the bass and guitar flow like his tom mm-hmm. melody is kind of mirroring the, the bass and the guitar line so that I don't know which came first but it, it yeah, sounds like a perfectly not- created drum part that's not like you can't learn in a book he invented it it's loosely based on a mozambique but right it's kind of his own thing it's a melodic thing sort of and do you play it with the four sticks i sometimes i have um i don't know if i will this weekend we'll just have to see i'm not sure i'd see how how um I don't want to go into gimmick mode, you know. Right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get my other very sticks here. Man, that's a tough thing because you know that there's like always one drummer in the crowd that's going to judge you too harshly either way. Either <laughs> yeah. like, hey, you didn't do it right, or dude, all you did was just copy Steve Gadd. And it's like, oh my god, how do yeah. I make any of you happy? <laughs> um, so, uh, well, I wish you, I wish you the best, man. Um, yeah, I'm sure my, I'll, I'll laugh through that one. I'm sure. My other uh, <clears throat> track is way off the Steve Gadd beaten path. Um, but it's 
it's really like it's the opposite of Night Sprite. And that's uh, We're in This Love Together by Al Jarreau. It's mm. just pocket. It's just groove. But he gets this one gadism in coming out of the first chorus going into the second verse that you're like, what? He literally plays a 30-second note inverted hot sauce gad lit in a ballad and and he totally you know and I could see the producer just it's kind of like his first major label album and he's like ah that's legendary Steve Gadd I don't want to tell him that he just dropped (laughs) the heat on a gospel chop in the middle of this beautiful song but but it totally works because he gads it out and it's just smooth and buttery but the main thing is if you just listen to that song and listen that like if he adds a snare one extra ghost note or even an accent it's because it's it's moving the song forward. It's accenting something musically that's happening. It's never because he was bored and felt that he just should hit another snare. So I, I really dissected that song for a long time, listening to every note and asking why that, that note wasn't part of the original pattern. Why did he add that one note where with night Sprite, it's so many notes. I can't really discern why he would do any of them. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of like, okay, my brain can't handle your dense literature. So then I go down to like Dr. Seuss and I'm like, okay, I think I can pick this one apart. Um, So yeah, (laughs) check out We're in This Love Together by Al Jarreau. You know what's funny though? This is something that I didn't, it confused me when early on, like I was in a a huge Weckle phase, a huge Vinny phase, and I knew that both those guys were influenced by Steve Gadd. But they were also kind of contemporaries, so I kind of put them all in the same thing. Like, I sure. wasn't thinking of one guy was a generation before or a half generation before the others. And I didn't get, I didn't get Gad. And I think it was I'm because his, his playing was so much more deliberate. And even, even Night Sprite, if you hear, there's, there's versions of Vinny playing that. I think of a Steve Gad uh, tribute or a Steve Gad uh, Zildjian Honors event or something. Okay. He kills it. But it kind of sounds like he's just ripping over the tune, whereas right. when Gad plays it, it's like he he's ripping, but he's ripping with a real purpose. Like every note has such a purpose. So it, yeah, when I was when I was in that early phase, it just didn't it just didn't register to me how emotional Steve Gad and deliberate at the same time, and he can play simple fills. Like he would leave space at the end of a four bar break, whereas Vidian Weckel would do all the stuff that I wanted to hear. Right. You right, know, so sure. I think really my all-time favorite Gad performance is the Buddy Rich Memorial Concert, where Dude. he's sitting in between Vinny in between and Weckle, <laughs> and he's, yeah. I mean, all three of those guys kill it, and I probably watched that video 8,000 times, and each, you know, every month I'd be, oh, I like Weckle better today, or I like Vinny better. Right. But ultimately... Steve puts everyone to school. I mean, he's taking totally. everyone to school. But and I and I definitely for the first decade and a half that I watched that video every day, I definitely didn't see it that way at all. No, not at um, all. It felt like he was just kind of like the more mellow guy on stage. But it's I like, felt that he just was the buffer between the two giants fighting each other. Right, right? right. and it's like, all right, well, and but he's actually Goliath. He is. He totally is. And and man, I mean, how crazy is it this in, that this instrument can take you know a collective collective what 60 years between us for us to realize that yeah um because i wish that i would have been 16 telling my my buddies like no 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 man that dude in the middle the one with the what did he have black pinstripe heads in that one or yeah, just regular yeah. pinstripes with black had, interiors yeah well i think it was just the 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 interior of the recording custom of the kit. shell yeah that's yeah. right but yeah, I mean, it was so dead. And then you know, then you'd go over to Weckle, and the and the kit would come to life, and then yeah. it'd go dead again. And then you go to Vinny, and it would. He had a 
like coated single plies and uh, I think he had was clear, doing. This. I think he had clear ambassadors. Vinny had clear ambassadors. Vinny did okay. Yeah. And then maybe Weckl had the coated. Yeah, he had the um, coated. So Weckl yeah. had the kind of like real smooth sound, and Vinny had the real kind of aggressive "I'm chopping you up" yep. sound. And and, and Dad I remember had this fat sound. Oh my god! Yeah, it was it was so cool. But I and I, it's so weird how we both perceived that to be like, well, they just let Gad come. You know, <laughs> they just let him hang out, and it's like, no, he destroyed. Yeah. And I, the the one thing that like. Anytime somebody mentions that, that's in my head, is Vinny playing a single stroke role, traditional style between left hand and right foot, yeah. while pushing his glasses up yeah. and looking at Weckl. <laughs> and I was like, what a stud. He said, tick, 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 and then pushed his glasses up and looked over at Weckl. And, you know. and then Dave's like, bro, I'm coming for you. And then the thing that I loved about that is Steve didn't get caught up in the fight. He just did his thing, but his thing is just so like... Like you said, it just it was what was needed. Not yeah. to mention, I don't think that whole concert or that that part of the concert would have sounded anywhere near as good as if you put maybe Dennis Chambers in between yeah. Vinny and Dave, right? Um, yeah, it, I mean, he he just kind of holds it all together. At the same right. time, he plays stuff that like gives you chills when you hear him play. Like like, dang, right. he did that thing because he does all of his stuff. He does that, that the three second note hi hat thing. He does yeah. the you know the hand foot triplets down the kit. Yeah. He does the real spacious fills that like anyone else will do that. You would like think they just were thrown in a towel, but Steve's like, no, nah, right. I'm going to play a quarter note and you're going to dig it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And there's like no resonance on that 16-inch floor, Tom. It sounds it's so d- good. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Okay, I thought we were getting out of this drum nerd thing. What the heck's going on? All right, Steve Gadd is still still the great. He still rocks. Go check him out. Read the article. <laughs> uh, do you know who did the article? Oh, you're going to ask me that. I got to flip it open. It's oh, uh, boy. so it wasn't you, Ken McAuliffe, our you know our, our one of our primary writers. Nice, very yeah. cool. It was a cool piece. I mean, it's 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 awesome to see that he's still killing it. And the, the photo the photo of his kit is amazing. I mean, it's. I think it was taken at the at the Blue Note when he was playing in New York, so he's got like tape all over every symbol. <laughs> like, really, like awesome! Huge strips of duct tape on every. Beautiful, symbol. beautiful, love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a double pedal, and the left the left beater is a wood beater, and the right beater is a felt beater. It's like, all that's, right, Steve, whatever awesome. you got to do. I mean, it, it's like a, exactly how drum sets looked in the seventies when they didn't care right. about cleanliness and and. And uh, consistency of just like, you know, right. whatever, whatever I got to do, get the sound. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into some gear. Uh, so this stuff, I would say, is probably one of the most buzzworthy things over the last year and a half. Um, they definitely signed. Well, I don't know if they signed, but they they collaborated with some amazing artists. So all of a sudden, these killer drummers were showing up making this, this video content with this thing. Um, and it's from uh, Sensory Percussion. And in all honesty, I was always confused by it until today. And yeah. I would suggest for anybody that is confused after Mike reviews this, go to their website. And there is a guy that just walks you through the setup process of one triggering unit. Yeah. And instantly you get it. And I totally get it now. And now I finally, like, I really thought it was just a trigger. I'm like, I don't get what the big deal is. Yeah. And I don't understand why they're getting nine sounds out of that one drum. Yeah. I totally get it. But you, you won't get it until you see the setup process. Until yeah. you see the onboarding of a new trigger. So the the company is actually Sunhouse. So the website is s u n h o u dot s e. That's the company Sunhouse, and the product is called Sensory Percussion. That's also that's that's what I said. Confusion. You just totally yeah. heard me wrong. Yeah, yeah. 
but you can search for either one, Sun House or Sensory Percussion. And so the number one thing is it's not a trigger. That's right. the first thing. It's not MIDI. It's not a trigger. It looks like a trigger because it clips on the hoop and it, it has a cable that comes out of it and it goes into your interface. But it's not a trigger. So it's not it's not using MIDI data to, to transmit, to take you hitting the drum and then sending MIDI data to a module that then plays a sound. It right. has it has microphones in it so it's a much more intelligent uh, device so what it does is it it you can train this thing to basically respond to your exact playing style so in and, the, and, and when you say that you mean dynamically dynamically and where you hit on the drum so right. the, the yeah. software has I can't remember how many zones I'd have to open it up and look I think but, it has seven so each drum has like various zones you have a center tap you have a slightly off center tap you can hit just the rim you can hit a rim click you can hit the shell you can train it to learn all this you can play with mallets and have it respond a little bit differently i couldn't believe that it could tell the difference between hitting the rim with the tip of your stick and then with the shoulder of the stick. yeah tip versus shoulder so all the little details that that you just play a drum naturally and you use all these sounds that if you're playing with a trigger it would just it would just hear the the volume of whatever you play and then trigger the sample. There's no difference between a soft uh, rim click or an, and a soft center head stroke with a regular trigger, unless it's a two zone trigger. This will you can train it to respond to all of that. So the software reads what you're doing and then assigns various parameters to it. it I mean, it sounds really confusing, but like you said, if you watch the guy's uh, tutorial. It it's a five-minute video, and you will get it all by the end. So the beauty um, of it is, so you can, so you train all the different zones. So you can assign a sound to the center of the head. You can assign a sound to the edge of the head. And rather than you know, it goes a, a sharp jump from you hit the center of the head, and then then all of a sudden the sound changes when you move to the outside of the head. You can have it gradually blend the two. So as you're wow. moving your plane from center to the edge, it just morphs into the other sound. I think that's the real power of this thing. And then you can assign any type of effects processing parameters and controllers to each of those things as well. So you can have, as you play quieter, a filter can shut down or open up, or a reverb can get, mix can get more intense if you play louder. So it's really designed to be a, a, a way to make your acoustic sounds you know, incorporate electronic sounds within the way you normally play drums. So you're not learning how to play electronics. You just play your drums, and, and the software is designed to respond naturally to whatever you do, which is why you're seeing more New York jazz guys using it. Yeah. Because they're not, they're not locked into click tracks and MIDI and stuff. They're just playing the drums and then messing around in the software to get various sounds that kind of blend with what they're already doing. Right, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty, it's pretty and amazing. I think when people, because if you go to their website, you're going to see the price. And, and at first, if your mind is in trigger mode, you're going to think like that is so expensive. You need to understand, like Mike said, this is not putting triggers on your kit. This is turning one of your drums into an SPDS sample pad or yeah. a Yamaha DTX pad. That's that's how I would think of it. <clears throat> is it, what, I don't know how much a SPD pad is or a DTX pad, like but they're probably about a, bucks. Yeah. Okay, so close to a grand. If you could just instead of having that, maybe you wanted something a little more organic. If your side snare had seven completely different sounds based off of where you hit it, 
um, and they all blended together really well, that's how you should be thinking about this. And in that case, um, you're looking at about $700 for one of these units plus the software that goes with it. Yeah. And I actually don't think it's outlandish at all for what it is. It, the problem, like you said, is that it looks like a trigger. So you're like, yeah. I'm not, I could just go get them for 50 bucks. And it's like, no, you can't. No, you, no. This literally is you know, a multi-pad all condensed <clears throat> down to the form of a trigger. It's like a multi-pad if the multi-pad had endless effects parameters that you could add to it. Yeah. Like a, a the general multi-pads that we can buy now, they might have reverb, they might have distortion, they might have delay, but you can't have those effects change as you play. You have to apply them to the pads, and then right. they just become the sound. But this software, you can actually control the effects with your playing. You can control the yeah. processing. You can control the samples, everything with your playing. So it's it's a whole new world and it did work well if I just wanted to be okay. Center plot uh, is, is a is a snare drum sample, and the rim shot is a tambourine sample. It can do that perfectly fine, but that's not really what the, the beauty of it is. Like, what do I do with that? What sound? It's more like a soundscape sound designer's tool. Sure. Like, what do I do with that snare sound that I've never been able to do before? Yeah, I mean, I would assume that the technology instead of what we need as gigging drummers where we say, okay, I've got this new gig and and it needs a tambourine. It needs some hand claps. I need to be able to play a sequence. I think this is the type of thing that would actually help your creativity. Once you had it, you couldn't stop being creative because you're like, oh my gosh. And then what if I did this? What if I did this? And then you're on your own journey. Um, It is a wormhole. There is a, I would say there's a warning (laughs) to it becoming an endless exploration and never actually using it (laughs) for anything. I had sure. a little bit of that at first. It was like, whoa, I can do this, I can do that. So I had to be like, all right, one preset, don't mess with anything. Just see what you can do with it first before you right. start diving into like assigning the filter opening and closing to the rim shot versus the rim click right. and, and or the delay time versus, I mean, it's like all this. You can make the delay time increase or decrease by dynamics. I mean, there's so many. Pretty much anything you can do in Endless. Ableton Live, you can do in this system. It's yeah, kind of it freaky. was... Uh, Like I said, for any of you that are listening to this and you're like, I am just waiting for this segment to be over. I don't know what the (laughs) hell they're talking about. I really encourage you to go to their website. So once again, it's S-U-N-H-O-U dot S-E because I have seen all of their media on this and I really didn't get it until today when I went to their website and I saw the guy set up one unit and then I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Yeah, Um, Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Now, do we have any sound of you using this at all? No, not nothing. Sweet, nothing, awesome. Uh, we can. <laughs> I'll include so, like links I said, just, their... just go to their website. It sounds great. <laughs> no, uh... <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense to fly right. in, you know, because you have right. to see it in action to really. Because it, it's better to check out the video demos. Yeah, I would say just go literally on the homepage of s u n h o u dot s e. Uh, just go there and you will see the demo and, and you can also see some guys perform with it but watching the guy set it up that was when it all really clicked for me so yeah. check it out um, and the price starts at uh, right around $700 $699 for one of the sensors and the full software kit and then you can go up from there if you want to use it for more but I could see a lot of people only needing one on yeah. uh, you know on their side snare or something it could be really cool so yeah, exactly. alrighty it is time to get into our picks of the week. Do you have a pick of the week, my friend? Are we skipping questions this week? Yep. I'm, uh, <laughs> um, 
I still got that moth on my mind, man. Mothgate 2017 is fresh. Uh, like I said, let's get to some of your listener questions. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can reach us there, and we'll do our best. All right, let's blow through a couple of these. Kurt, he says, can you explain what playing over the bar line is? Sure. You want to take it? Uh, well, I mean, the, the obvious answer would be to... In the drumming context, it's essentially when you play a beat or a fill that doesn't resolve on the one in an obvious spot. So a lot of yes. times people play a fill that extends over the four-bar phrase into the first bar of the next four-bar phrase, and it lands on two or three or maybe the one of the second bar. Right. But you can so, also have beats that go that never resolve, that just keep cycling. Like sure. a three-beat pattern is not going to resolve on one until three measures go by. Right. And yeah, I think definitely it, it makes more sense in the context of improvisations or fills just because we're so used to crashing on the one. So what you could do, my friend, is just just pick anywhere after the downbeat of one to land. So, Mike, give me somewhere to land other than one. E of two. E of two. So I would play a fill starting on the downbeat of three that would normally resolve on the one. One, two, three, four, one. Now I have to keep that fill going and improvising until the E of two. Thanks a lot, Mike. <laughs> one, two, three, four, one, two, E, three, four, one, two, three, four, E, a one E and a two, E, three, four. So I'm yeah. passing up that bar line that in written music would be separating the uh of four and the downbeat of one if we're feeling things in sixteenths. Good examples. I mean, I think Aaron Spears probably does it really tastefully. Um, For sure. Probably, and that's probably the most clearest way to hear someone kind of in a funk session do that. Just jazz yeah. guys do it a lot. Brian Blade was the guy who made me aware of it on the records with Joshua Redman. But things are always kind of morphing and ever evolving. That you might not even know where one is at all to even have a. Reference I would, for yeah. It. I think start with YouTube and, and Aaron, and then graduate to Jazz Crimes. Right and there, you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next yeah. question comes from Neil. Um, so he's got. A 16-inch bass drum. So his question is, um, do you have any methods for making a 16-inch bass drum louder? Would this involve using kick ports or different beaters? Um, so he's basically wants to keep his drum small so he can throw them in a cab, but he's wondering yeah. if he can get a 16-inch bass drum louder. You know, the, the kick port isn't... The kick port's going to give you a little more low end, but it's not going to make it any louder. Um, yeah. And so I wouldn't suggest that unless you were just saying it's it's just too clicky and it's not getting enough low end. Kickport would help with that. No, I mean unfortunately, hitting it harder, taking out the muffling. Yeah, I, mean, I think it is uh, what it is. Single you know? ply clear heads are going to be the loudest heads. So to get rid of your EMAD or whatever pre muffled head you're yeah, using on there, agreed. go with something thin. But and get a patch. Clear. Yeah, <laughs> if you're trying to get that thing to be louder and you got a single fly clear on there, you're going to go through that on on song one. So get a Kevlar patch. Um, but no, I think right. it's 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 limited because it's smaller. I mean, you can only it is it, what it is. Yeah. yeah, but you can get a great sound out of a sixteen. I've certainly heard awesome sounding sixteens. Sure. Um, okay, let's go. So this is from Dario. Um, his question is, what are your thoughts on recording with or without a click, and what are your experiences with it? So he's, he's, he's looking to be, his question is, how to be a better drummer with a click. Um, yeah, so he's looking to be how to improve his playing when he uses the click, but he wants our thoughts on recording with and without. 
Yeah, I've actually never recorded without one. Um, and I'm talking about an actual session, um, not just me recording myself. But I've never yeah. been in a session where it was even an option. The producer was just like, what do you want for your click? And I would say uh, tambourine in quarters with a shaker in eighths. Yeah. And then he'd just program it for me, and that was it. Um, do you Have you recorded any sessions that were supposed to be super organic and supposed to breathe, and they just said, don't use a click? Uh, I mean, jazz records I've done, obviously. Okay, sure, um, yeah. And then there's been a couple where it was just the band just couldn't really it needed to not be locked in because it was just like subtle things but in general I think well 99% of the work I'm doing now is overdub work so you absolutely have to be to to. click track so you there's no other option um I think ideally we'd all want to have a band that plays together every day and then we don't need a click and then we go in and just play but I think that's unrealistic and also some of that some of that organic time shift stuff that we think sounds cool on the gigs (laughs) <laughs> you, you put that under the microscope of a recording studio and it just sounds bad. It just sounds yeah. like lack. It doesn't have a groove. It doesn't have a pocket. So I tend to always prefer it, even if I don't need it. Just for the safety net of editing, maybe you want to take a chorus from one take and drop it into the, the keeper take. Right. Um, as far as getting better with it, you just have to do it every day. I think you just yeah. have to. You have to become friends with that click track. <clears throat> Like for me, I'm at the point where I don't even hear it anymore. It's just there, and that's just because I do it every single day. Like I don't, I don't question, you know, am I in time or whatever anymore. The click track is just there. It's just my friend keeping me, keeping me on tempo. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I'm just now starting to do the. Uh, um, I've I've always done quarter notes and upbeats, but I'm just now getting into changing the click into the e's and us i'm not it's not like mm. i'm just aware of it i just never really honestly there's just been other things that were more important to me but now i'm really putting a huge focus into my time and man that's just a tough thing to mentally flop over to yeah you know the e's um, is has been the the hardest one for me but the us is is my i use the uh when i'm playing on the pad now that's kind of my mm. my metronome and, and but i've just started going to the e's and it, it's easy f- it's difficult to keep it on the E and not have it flip to the and. It just yeah, kind of wants to yeah. just fall to the and. For me, the hard, I mean, if, if I could just have a click do one bar of quarter notes and then it jumped to the E, from then I'm fine. Mm. It's just, it's just like turning starting on starting out cold. On, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, E, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've tried everything. Um, <laughs> Just in my practice, e and e and but yeah, it, that that stuff's tough, man. You know, to to flip it over, and then uh, also I'm having it be dotted eights. Um, mm. So, and that's another tough one um, to just like I said, if you could have four bar or four beats of downbeats, then everything's fine. But just to turn on a metronome, click click, and you're like, that is now the us. It's like yeah, uh, one e and two e and three. <laughs> Uh, all right. All right. Last, last one for this week. This is from Micah. His question has to do with playing with intensity. So it mm. says there's a, a tendency to speed up for many drummers when the intensity needs to be brought up. So how do you teach slash practice increasing intensity without changing tempo? Um, I know the fail-safe answer is to use a metronome, but are there other ways of practicing intensity building in songs? Uh, I just had a long conversation about this with, with a friend of mine. Because it's the same same issue where he wanted to play with more intensity, more snap, more pop, but he was he was finding he lost control of the tempo. Okay, and so we kind of went on for like an hour about it, and I think 
for me, it goes back to what we just talked about, where counting out loud is going to be the the crucial step. Because I think when you play with more intensity, what that means is you're playing with a faster stroke. You're playing with a more accelerated stroke. So therefore, the time between... If you're playing with less intensity, it's a slower stroke, so that takes up more time. But now if you're speeding up that stroke, your tendency is to then compensate by rushing the patterns because the stick is getting to the head that much faster. <clears throat> I think I really think that's the key to playing with an intense sound is playing with a maximum velocity stroke at whatever dynamic you're at. Uh, right. So the problem is that's going to throw your, your equilibrium off, your balance, your Completely. you know what you're comfortable with. So you have to re- rely on your internal clock. So what I'd recommend doing is counting out loud, counting the fastest subdivision that you need to play, and trusting that your singing is going to always be the in time. Because you're not right. going to rush your singing if you if you really focus on it. It's just not the way we don't speak out of rhythm. We don't you know, if we just get our brain out of the way, our body is going to be accurate. Yeah. So count out loud and just let that drive your playing and you're going to have to and then naturally your your plan's going to compensate that's all in the practice room on stage with your band i think you just have yeah. to be aware that it's going to happen and just be aware of it and then it'll awareness Agreed. is is 80 percent of it in my experience yeah i mean if you don't practice performing you you're always going to perform sloppily because you just haven't realized the time difference it takes to hit your snare normal and then to have your arm up in the air pointing at the drum gods in between every single hit um that takes a lot of time man and then usually what happens is because that time you think like oh this is taking forever so you end up rushing it Mm -hmm. trying to because you think the movement is slowing you down but yeah i I would say just get in that room and and it might be as simple as finding a song that's a very simple verse chorus verse chorus thing and play the verses like you're playing a dinner party and then play the choruses like you're in an arena and just go back and forth and see can you just start to feel that adjustment in, in yourself and for me I always have a double top and bottom metronome going. So my head is always in quarter notes. My chin is going to my left shoulder on one and three, and my chin is going to my right shoulder on two and four. So I'm just swiveling from one, two, three, Mm -hmm. four, left, right. So that's my quarter note. That's my upper body time. And then my left foot is down. The heel of my left foot is playing eighth notes. So I have a double grid happening in my body. And when I rush... That's two parts of my body that are speeding up, and I can really feel it. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. So, so That's yeah. a good device. That's cool. Yeah, and I think if you want to see some people play with intensity at, at various volumes, Jeff Ficaro would be the archetype of the dude plays with intensity every time he hits a drum. So you just right. watch the way his limbs are snapping. I mean, he's, he's like a he's surgical with his his movements it's not a lot of slow motion arm movements it's yeah. it's a snap it's a crisp snap every time you know he plays. and i and i've never had a chance to talk to him to find out if jeff was one of his influences i'm sure he was just because he's influenced almost everybody but todd Zuckerman is very much so like that as well yeah um, he's got a real intense playing very style. precise yeah. but i mean man <clears throat> just so much intensity like i don't want my fingers to be anywhere near his snare yeah he gets that traditional grip pulled back so (laughs) all righty guys we'll keep sending your questions into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com we love getting to them even though i almost tried to skip them this week that was my (laughs) fault entirely yeah all right now it's time okay now it's time picks of the week mine is i bought a macro slash wide angle lens for my iphone this past week so okay so i saw you answer that question that that footage came from your iphone that's my iphone and it was probably <laughs> I love it. Um, 
I mean, because I'm, I'm dealing with a pretty small space, so I, right. I, no matter what, it was like I was either cutting my head off or I was cutting half the drum set off. I always had to compensate in order to make it fit the screen. So I think the camera might be like four feet away from the drum set and maybe six feet off the ground. Wow. And it can get the whole kit. But the yeah. cool thing is it doesn't distort it. There's no fisheye-like function. Exactly. Yeah, the edges are not distorted at all. I, I, I really and, – and when I'm looking at it on my phone – you having a, a you know a 400 megapixel crazy mm-hmm. camera or your iPhone, it, I'm not going to be able to tell anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the brand is, I think it's Zenvo is how you say it, X-E-N-V-O. Okay. And it's a, they just call it iPhone Camera Lens Pro. And it it's a clip-on, so it's not like a case. It's just a clip-on. It's a pretty okay. big lens. I was kind of shocked how big it is. It's probably two inches in diameter maybe. Okay. So it's not like some of the mobile lenses I've bought in the past that are like tiny little magnets that stick on that they never really worked right. This is a like a sure a big a big lens, but it clips on, it holds fine. Um, it's not permanent. You don't have to like tape it on or anything crazy. Uh, and it's, it was I got it actually. I just cashed in some Amazon rewards money and got it for free. But it's like twenty six dollars, I think. Dude, so worth it. And it comes with the wide angle version, or you can take half the lens off, and it's a macro lens. So you can do those super cool up close shots. Sure. Uh, so it's 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 cool. I mean, I'm, I my goal was to never have to turn on my my Canon or my computer to do recordings for social media, and I've I think I've achieved it. I'm not. I'm not recording using my my studio setup for audio, and I'm not recording with. Wait a my minute. So are you going from your interfaces, or <coughs> how are you getting into the phone from that Sure thing? The the uh, yeah the Sure MVI. So what I have yeah. is I have a mixing board to the left of my kit. I have a bass drum mic and a room mic, and the room mic is like three feet in front of the kit. Okay, those come into the mixing board. I you know do all my crazy effects processing with them. And then that goes out into the UV one that goes straight into my iPhone, and then I do the video with the iPhone. So I never turn my computer on, and I never have to worry about. Uh, I mean, I do drop the file into Final Cut later and do some sharpening and color correcting and stuff, but I don't have to like mix the audio and and export it and sync it up with the video. It's all it's all done in one shot. Awesome, I love it. Well, yeah, I was I saw you answered that question because somebody said, "Hey, what camera are you using?" or whatever. Yeah. And and you just mentioned the lens, but I was like, uh, those are iPhone attachments. What's yeah. he talking about? Like, there's <laughs> no way you is. put an iPhone attachment <laughs> on his DSLR. That's incredible, man. 26 I bucks. Love it. I think if anyone's you know, trying to do videos with their iPhone, this this is the solution for, like, getting you know, that wide. You have a small space. Yeah, small space, but you want to get, the, especially drum set, it's kind of the perfect subject where it's, it's just a little bit too tall and too wide to fit into the, the iPhone lens. And I agree with you, man. Like those those lenses in the past were always so overly fisheyed. It's like that's so gimmicky. I would never yeah, use that. Exactly. Um, so I think that's awesome, man. Um, and I also just found out for those of you guys that have the Audio Technica USB or 2020 USB I, the one that I've used in the past, I just found on Amazon a an extension cable. So it's a lightning jack extension cable. So that that um, microphone goes their own. USB to lightning, mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's just a mini USB, but I couldn't find a really long cable of that. And so I found just a lightning extension cable. So you plug it into the end of the Audio Technica's cable, and then it's another six feet of lightning cable. And I got no signal loss whatsoever. So now I have a 10 foot cable. Nice. That's, I never need it to be further away than that. And especially if I then use that, um, that lens. And I, I think actually the macro lens would be really cool 
to mm. have it like maybe right on the edge of my snare drum and yeah, uh, get a cool, cool depth of field thing. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so very good stuff. All right, well, my pick of the week this time is a fitness thing. I uh, kind of lost my mind recently, and I was like, "Fine, I'm gonna i I need a fitness tracker." I've been doing these new workout classes where you have to wear a heart rate monitor around your chest, and I just can't stand it. Mm, okay. So I was like, "All right, I'm gonna go." So I. In the last two weeks, I have bought every wrist fitness tracker on the on the market. Um, that's just how I do things, and I, re- I return. It's, I'm not I'm not like balling. I return everything, um, but I'm going to buy them all and I'm going to test them all. So I first started. I said, let's start at the top. I got the Apple Watch. Yeah, um, and then uh, I could not stand that thing. Uh, was so not from and that really? is the first Apple product I've ever experienced that was not intuitive whatsoever. I mean, mm. the whole brilliance of an iPad is you get this literally this computer that comes with no instruction manual because yeah. Steve Jobs said we built it right. You don't need an instruction yeah. manual; you'll be fine. With this watch, again. I was lost. So um, then I returned that and got the Fitbit. Uh, what did I get? The Fitbit Charge or the Fit? I I got like a couple Fitbits, got a couple blah blah blahs, and I ended up with um actually a Fitbit called the there it is the Fitbit Blaze. So the Fitbit Blaze is about somewhere between 150 199. And it really is kind of the Apple Watch. It looks a lot like the Apple Watch, but it's the Apple Watch without all the Apple stuff. Because what uh-huh. I, I don't I don't want a smartwatch. I don't want texts and calls and emails on my watch. I'm and not to mention I'm a watch guy. I'm not wearing that thing all day. I'm going to wear my watches that I that I traded in five snare drums for. So I just needed this literally for fitness tracking. And so the Fitbit Blaze, um, the readouts are easy, but what I found out was it has pre programmed workouts on it, actually on the screen. And when I was in Germany and I was stuck in the hotel for a long period of time. I did the workouts, and they were extremely intense. And it's keeping track of all the calories and, excuse me, and it, my heart rate. How does it give you the workout? Uh, it's got a full um, color screen. And it, so it'll say, um, and it's got a vibration thing. So you press start, and it'll say uh, high knees, 30 seconds. And mm. you do it, and then it buzzes on your wrist, and you just do it. You don't l- ever look at it. You do it until it buzzes again. So you feel it, and you've got five seconds of rest, kind of Tabata training style. And then it'll say, you know, incline push-ups, and you put your feet up on the hotel bed and and do your incline push-ups for 45 seconds, and it buzzes on your wrist. And at the end, <laughs> I was like, well, I guess we're taking another shower today. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I really – and, oh, the thing I didn't mention was I bought the Fitbit Alta the Fitbit Charge 2, um, and the Fitbit Alta HR. So I did every price point leading up to this one wow. um, and the Apple Watch, and I returned them all and kept the Fitbit Blaze. So if And what I really like about it, too, is it has, um, as long as you have your phone with you, it'll do all the tracking for GPS. So it knows, like, oh, I'm going on a bike ride, and it keeps it all. I, I would say the Fitbit app was the most user-friendly I found hmm. um, out of all of them. So... Um, so yeah, so check it out. Um, if if you're doing the fitness thing, I, I don't. I'm not going to wear that thing all day and keep track of my. Uh, uh, my you're steps. walking. I yeah, I don't care. I, that's man. That's that's some bull crap. That's like remember when we had to answer that question: Is drumming exercise? It's like no, neither yeah, is walking. Because unless you're yeah. walking from here to Wyoming. Yeah. Um, but I mean, no. it, yeah, it doesn't hurt to move around if you're not moving at all. But to, to 
I mean, the my iPhone phone has that in there as well. And I remember I left my phone in my pocket during a gig, and I looked down, and it said I had like taken like twenty thousand steps. Right, <laughs> like just because, yeah, so it was a heavy bass so. drum night. <laughs> I don't yeah, think so, so. Uh, so yeah, so I, I just use it for the fitness. And the other thing, I really want to point this out because it helped. I had to perform eight times while I was there. It has a. Um, a relax app inside of it and it all it is is breathing but it it causes you to breathe at a certain pace so it's two minutes of deep breathing so i did it before every performance and it buzzes on your wrist on the inhale and it buzzes on your wrist on the exhale so it keeps you on track bro it was like coming out of the spa that's awesome like, is it time to perform all right no nerves so <laughs> so that was the great. the 200 one yeah the fitbit blaze is what it's called Awesome. And you can change out the bands. Um, It's worth it. Um, And and it tracks your sleep, too. And that's what Amber and I have been using them for is we wake up and just find out, like, if we've been getting good sleep, like, how much are we in REM sleep? How much are we in deep sleep? Um, Uh. It's... It's really pretty cool, man. So, um, like I said, I, I, I have no problem spending money on quality gear, so I went straight for the Apple Watch, and I just did not enjoy it anywhere near as much as the Fitbit Blaze. And, I I mean, I'm an Apple guy. I've got every iPhone ever made, and yeah. so I, I'm a fan of their products. But in this case, for what I needed it for, I didn't need a smartwatch. I needed a fitness tracker. This was mm-hmm. the one. Dig it. All right, cool. guys. Everyone have an amazing week. Um, and I'm going to... I gotta teach a live lesson. Today is homework assignment day. Sweet, um, you better get studying. Uh, I'm I'm dishing out the homework. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's their time. I love homework assignments though because it's just all about. It doesn't matter the skill level. I, I create an assignment that any beginner and any pro would both struggle with equally. So today's assignment is learning YYZ by Rush Left Hand Lead, and that's for all levels. <laughs> That is a lie. All right, buddy. I will talk to you soon. All right. See you. Later, brother.